are the voyages of the starship Therapies. Its continuing mission to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. terminal. Spock, I'm halfway through my Twin Peaks binge and I'm freezing. Bring me another heated Vulcan blanket. Sir, you already have four. Don't argue with me. I'm so, so cold. And I'm so, so sad. Spock, have I been infected with some sort of freezing sadness? It must have been the Romulans. Order Bones to the bridge immediately. I, I could do that, sir. But I don't think that you've been infected with a Romulan freezing sadness. No? No. I, I think that you might be experiencing seasonal affective disorder, also known as seasonal depression. But we're in space. Yes. Well, it's pretty dark and cold up here, much like your Earth winters. It would make sense. Also, you've been spending an awful lot of time in Twin Peaks, which is dark, rainy, and cold, as referenced by all those wonderful sweaters. When was the last time you stepped away from the virtual Pacific Northwest and took a trip to the holodeck for some sun? That's what I thought. Let's do intros and then take a virtual vacation to your planet's sun zone, Hawaii. I haven't packed. Mm, okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Justine Mastin, LMFTE, Yogini, writer, researcher, and captain of this particular ship. Welcome aboard. And I am Larissa Garski, licensed marriage and family therapist, writer, researcher, Spockian first officer, and I am doing my very Vulcan best. Just a reminder to the listeners at home that just because we are therapists does not mean that we are your therapists, unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. Now, isn't that better? Yes! Who would have thought that a lack of sunlight and immersion into a television show that takes place in one of the gloomiest surrounds ever could make such a difference to my mood? No one, sir. I suppose that I was impacted by the seasons back on Earth, too. Why, in my hometown of Riverside, Iowa. Right. Yeah, it gets pretty hard this time of year for, for folks to deal with the the slog of, of the cold and the damp, and mm -hmm. the just generally feeling sad, you know? Well, and, and like the grayness, right? Even yes. if you don't live in kind of the upper Midwest, which tends to be pretty full of snow still mm -hmm. this time of year, this time of year being March, March um, when this one is going to drop, right? That even if it's not snow, it's just gray kind of that like graphite gray where things just feel dim lots of clouds the sun can't really pierce through it has almost that sort of like twilight feel where even though it's you know 2 p.m on a monday it still feels from a circadian rhythm standpoint like it's 5 30 p.m and that you should go to sleep but you can't because it's 2 p.m and you know jeff in accounting needs those reports <laughs> 
Yeah. It, it's, uh, I mean, it happens all winter, but it's about this time that that the people on on my therapy couch are just begging for this to be over. When is this going to end? Like, I could tolerate it for a while, uh, but my tolerance has evaporated. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of, you know... I don't know why I use so many marathon metaphors. Yeah, it's but you have a shocking number of sports metaphors. I do. And I, th- I what I would say is that I think most of them really do center around running, in particular the marathon, which again is surprising because I tend to be an indoors Vulcan. Um, <laughs> I, I do run because my pulmonologist has made it really clear to me that like that's that's a part of keeping the lungs young. And if not limber, at least, you know, fully full at full capacity or my version of full as a long time sufferer of asthma. <laughs> so yeah, so even after running doors, I need that like climate control situation. Mm-hmm. Um or you know the holodeck. The holodeck is great for that. Um but it, no in no way am I going to be running a marathon inside. Mm-mm. But I like the use of the wall metaphor, right? Cuz when you're like running, you're I don't know, you're on mile 20, my understanding is that you can hit that physical and mental wall when the body is just like, no, no more. I don't care if you want us to go farther. I don't care if you like had that goop five miles back. I don't care if you've been training for a year and a half for this. We're done. We want to stop right now. Mm-hmm. And March and maybe like the end of February from a weather perspective, unless you're lucky enough to live in, you know, California, Arizona, Florida, Hawaii. Mm. Right. Mm. It feels that way because you're like, when will this gray sleet be over? I can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that so many of the creepy shows that I love are filmed in Vancouver. Hmm. Which kind of has that vibe all sure. the time. Sure. We got Riverdale. Mm-hmm. We got Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Supernatural. Supernatural. Mm-hmm. The Twilight series. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know we just talked about vampires, but uh, I think Twilight is such a... Like, I didn't think I was going to jump on that, but here we go. <laughs> I um, didn't either. When I threw that out there, I thought you were going to be like, Larissa, we're not talking about your interests. We're talking about <laughs> mine. <laughs> but please, you know, continue. Well, I uh, I mean, I find all of those shows spooky. And at times, like, you know, it sets a mood. There's a purpose to, to mm-hmm. why those uh, showrunners want us to be in this kind of creepy twilight uh uh, and I was using that as time of day, not as uh, vampire glitter. Um, but they they want to invoke this mood, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I I am loath to say this, but I think Twilight the films do that really well. Like it is gloomy as fuck. You yes. cannot watch that and be like, what a, what a fine mood I'm in. Well, this is, this, this is a lovely day and an excellent film. Uh, <laughs> 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 you're, 
the the mood they have created when you watch that is like I am sad. I am Bella Swan, mm-hmm. devoid of meaning in my life, alone right. in a room for many, many months. Mm-hmm. I feel alienated. Uh-huh. Everything feels cold, inside and out, literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. I have lost my mother. I have a strange, tenuous, at times, connection to my father. I have this sometimes really hot, sometimes really not, but always pretty generic BFF. And Jacob. <laughs> I have very long hair that I often forget to comb or brush. <laughs> because I'm so depressed. Because I'm so depressed. It's hard to motivate. It's hard to move. It's hard to do anything. Mm-hmm. And is it any surprise that then she falls for, you know. His name is Edward. Well, right. I know it's Edward, but he's just this like weird, creepy, adult, arrested development. <laughs> very sexually problematic vampire (laughs) like but like all because what we're saying is like bella's not in her right mind she is Mm -hmm. so down her mood is the depressed mood and when we're feeling really depressed we're not able to you know access like the full cognitive capacities of our brains i mean i do think kind of like recent studies corroborate that that be in when you are depressed Things like standardized test scores, and of course, that's debatable on how much that, how accurate a measure that is. But what it is able to show is like, if you say generally tested it, like, let's pick a test, a 26 in the ACT, but if you have been clinically depressed for, again, this is a hypothetical, six months or more, it is likely that if you take the test again, that your score will drop. And that is not because of your intellect or ability or skill, it's because of depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's because you have a Vancouver level haze of fog that in your brain in in your brain that is between you and the facts that you need to access for that standardized test. Assuming standardized tests were, you know, created for people of all socioeconomic statuses and racial identities um right which which which, like spoiler alert listeners they're not (laughs) (laughs) hashtag problematic tests (laughs) you just you you never know where we're gonna fly to you just Mm -hmm. you strap in and you feel the g's well, we we already quoted The Simpsons in our title for for this episode, so I also threw in a Max Power Simpsons reference. If you're not a Simpsons fan, you can just go ahead and Google those. Well, Riddle and them up on the social meds, right? And you know, here's the thing, listeners: if you're not a Simpsons fan, that's okay. I'm kind of with you in that. I I like the Simpsons that I've seen, but um, I was raised in a home where interesting things happened and amongst the interesting things that happened (laughs) that sounds a little more foreboding than i intended but also not entirely not appropriate um so i'm gonna stop at the double double negatives and just be clear that like yeah i was not allowed to watch the simpsons growing up because it was considered to be too violent and i mm -hmm, yeah i know um so i watched a few episodes at like friends houses um obviously the captain and our lovely producer have introduced me to their favorite apps 
-hmm. but it's not the same as growing up within the fandom i don't think oh yeah it was simpsons was a very important part of the cultural identity of my family so it was it was interwoven into the fabric of of the the home mm-hmm. uh it was part of I, the uh the kirk the kirkian tapestry if you will it was it was part of the kirk it was the tiberius of the kirkian tapestry <laughs> well uh, said <laughs> thank you uh but i'm gonna bring us back to twilight i guess um i guess so huh. i guess so <laughs> yeah who knew mm-hmm. who knew uh, but i just i do my brain keeps going back to that image of of Bella sitting in the chair of, you know, that little room that's like a sunroom and the, the camera keeps panning around her and it's oh, like November, yes. December, mm-hmm. January. Because Edward like, has left. Yes. So yes. here are all the months that she is utterly alone. Sure. And, and we could think of that, like she is such a great personification of depression that that's that's what depression can feel like. And I, I think specifically seasonal affective disorder or, mm. you know, the the seasonal depression is some folks are just fucking waiting it out because they mm. know it's going to get better once the sun comes back. Right. And for her, the sun is Edward. Um, <laughs> uh, that would not be my sunshine, but. You know, you go, girl, if you're happy. I mean, I think you could say he's a son- he's her sunshine. You could also say that he's her addiction. Mm. You know, potato, potato, maybe. But actually, no, it's like potato kumquat. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to pause for a moment because I think it might be helpful for our listeners to understand the difference between clinical depression and seasonal affective disorder as it is technically known in things like the dsm but really colloquially we call it seasonal depression mm-hmm. yes right? that would be useful. do you are do you have that open right now no <laughs> um we were talking about the difference between seasonal affective disorder and depression mm-hmm and what did we do? We consulted everyone's favorite, the DSM-5. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, friends. Captain is not a big fan of the DSM-5. I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a fan of any of the DSMs. It's not that I am choosing to dislike that one. I dislike them all. And while I think it would be fun at a later point to really get into the nitty gritty of, of the roots of the captain's disdain for the DSM, <laughs> I think today we might be best for, served just kind of sticking with um, why we consulted it in the first place, which is to kind of get a better handle on clinical depression versus seasonal affective disorder. Mm-hmm. What's the diff? Um, and one of the things that we learned is that while... The term seasonal affective disorder slash seasonal depression are pretty important to, I think, both folks who struggle with it and folks who treat it, um, like the captain and myself. As far as the good folks who put together the DSM are concerned, it's, it's it's not classified as two kind of discrete or separate conditions. And what I mean by that to use the parlance of our times is if we think about (laughs) clinical depression as a category, 
seasonal affective disorder, aka seasonal depression, is kind of a, a subsection of that category, if you will. Um, we're not going to go into why because that's a long discussion. Um, but, and I don't really think it's probably necessary for our purposes right now. Really the important thing to think about is that seasonal depression is, it, it has a lot of the features of just good old garden variety clinical depression, (laughs) but it has some pretty set triggers, right? So it tends to start to kick up for folks end of fall, beginning of winter, depending upon where you're living and then die down around the season of spring Mm -hmm. right and what it really is tied to is our um changes in not just weather but kind of climate during those periods you know lousy smart weather Mm -hmm. yeah it is it is very impactful i this this is something that's been impactful for me um, in my life. And I, I remember my, uh, my dad struggled with uh, seasonal affective disorder and he had the biggest sun lamp in the history of sun lamps. Cause my dad was like real extra before we talked about ex- <laughs> shit being extra. Um, <laughs> so when his doc was like, you should get a sun lamp. He was like, now what is the most super extra deluxe sun lamp? I can get. <laughs> he was like, I want that one. I would, that is the one that I would like. Thank you. And it was um, just like, yeah. And do you know why, how come sun lamps are supposed to be helpful? Okay. So um, here's the deal. I, I don't need to tell you that uh, sunlight helps your body feel better, but there's brain science behind it. So our, our body, our internal clock is impacted by light. And what light does is it says, hey to the hormones and neurotransmitters in your body. And that impacts how you feel. So when, when you get that real bright light um, early in the day, don't use a light, don't use a sun lamp in the evening. I just, come on people. Um, that it starts um, mimicking the body's production of serotonin. So suddenly we're happier and our mood is lifted. Mm-hmm. And as long as we're doing it early in the day, our uh, melatonin, the stuff that helps us sleep, that regulates in the evening. So mm-hmm. using a sun lamp early in the day, it helps get, uh, get those neurotransmitters and hormones a chugging along, um, improving feelings of well-being and then helping you sleep in the evening. Which makes sense because if I'm picking up what you're putting down, and I usually am, mm. um, it sounds like a good chunk of this has to do with helping your body kind of reachieve a state of equilibrium, right? Because part of what makes mm. lousy smarts weather so challenging is that the body has, a, because there's not the sunlight that's, you know, wafting, casting, shining, shining, shining its beautiful rays down on us <laughs> at at the time of day that we are used to from a physiological standpoint, the body gets confused and is like, whoa, should I wake up right now? Should I go back to bed? Should I be sleeping longer? Should I be sleeping later? And Mm. that kind of throws everything off. Right. And so if you had, and again, this is where it's very important as the captain said to use the sun lamp in the beginning of the day, because what that is then going to do is it's going to mimic 
that sunlight that the body is really in such need of early in the morning and then that gets the whole system moving at the time of day that it needs to start moving and that's going to better regulate those sleep and wake cycles that are super important mm-hmm. yeah and here's the deal like this shit it served a purpose in our mammalian past right mm. like our ancestors this time of year they just they tucked in for like the long winter's nap i mean we're not bears we didn't hibernate but there this was a time of year when we wanted to be curled up and snoozing most of the day because mm-hmm. it's cold we're we're not going to go out hunting and shit and mm-hmm. so, of course, we're tired in the middle of the day. We should be holed up in our cave under some uh, mammoth fur and uh... <laughs> and just just you know gnawing occasionally on old mammoth bones and mammoth jerky, <laughs> which I hear tell <laughs> is quite amazing. Um, mm-hmm based on old earthen artifacts. <laughs> but we are no longer Mm-mm. our mammalian ancestors. No. Um, and we have shit we need to do in the middle of winter. But our, our, for some of us, we're more impacted by that than others. We're all slightly impacted. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah. I mean, we are all in some way impacted by winter. Like, just tune in with yourself, even if you're not a person that experiences seasonal affective disorder. I bet you could point to, like, it's a little harder to get out of bed in the winter. Mm-hmm. Or joints are stiffer. I feel mm-hmm. more tired. I'm more groggy. Less energy. Maybe I'm more prone to things like colds. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe I have a lower frustration tolerance. Maybe I tend to be, you know... A little more snappy at Jeff and accounting this time of year. <laughs> well, he shouldn't be such a dick about my TPS reports. <sighs> For real, Jeff. For real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it makes sense that the, the spooky shows that we love, the, the, the shows and movies that are trying to create this, this vibe of like, I want to I burrito myself up and, and watch this with some hot cocoa like i'm a this this is my modern age uh woolly mammoth (laughs) hibernation experience you four heated vulcan blankets and twin peaks (laughs) yes i guess in a way it makes a kind of sense because it when you're watching those mm, moodier more seasonal effective type shows They're not just mirroring, but I think in a way it it's a kind of validation through art, right? Because you're watching these folks who are struggling with a depressed mood. You know, like in Bella's case, it's called a breakup, um, an addiction to Edward, if you will. Um, in the case of Twin Peaks, God, what what would you say they're struggling with over in Twin Peaks? Uh, a murder in their uh in their small town um so a a murder has has broken the serenity of their small town which spoiler alert it it's it was already full of like what david lynch loves is turning a rock over and showing you all of the gross bugs and shit that's underneath that rock and uh that's that's what twin peaks is you 
he shows you this rock and he's like, look at this rock. And then he's like, oh, look, one bug crawled out from under that rock. Well, what would happen if we just, wait, pr- nice rock you have there. Be a shame if something happened to it. And then he just like kicks the rock and you see everything that's underneath it. Um. <laughs> and sometimes it's the log lady underneath it, but in miniature ant form. Oh, wow. That, yep. If uh, if any of our listeners out there are into doing fan art, we would love to see your aunt log lady. Uh- <laughs> oh, we we super would. We are big <laughs> fans of the log lady here uh, at the Starship Therapies. Oh, but yeah, it creates this mood of hey, we we have this. Oh, where were you going? I see your brain moving. Thinking of the glory of log lady reminded me of again of course david lynch and i i found myself wondering what were the things that contributed to his very particular perspective um and i certainly can't speak to david lynch's perspective from a personal level right because i i don't know him Mm -hmm. um but it did make me start thinking about things that we know about brain science and neurobiology and that when we are Whatever mood we're in, and we're going to go with the depressed mood because it is the topic of today, mm. we, our brain does such a good job of pattern matching. Could you explain pattern matching? Pattern matching is, so if I'm feeling depressed and down, my brain is part of how it is, it, my, my mind in particular, part of the way it attempts to make sense of the world is to say, I have something going on inside that I've picked up on. Can I find a corresponding match out in the world? Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's literally like that um, that face matching game you play when you're a little kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's part of why as human beings we find puzzles so interesting. Mm-hmm. It's part of why we enjoy games. I'd even go so far as to say I think it's why we enjoy things like noir detective shows. Because it's, again, it's it's our ability as human beings to take, have an internal sense of form. And the desire to find a match or make a story meaning make out into the world. And pattern matching is, I think, one of the foundational logs, if you will, <laughs> of, our, of our mind's desire to make meaning through story. But why only noir? Why wouldn't, it, why wouldn't pattern matching work for any story? I think it does, but I was thinking more along the lines of like games and games that involve like finding two things that either complement or match each other, and it has that like detective component. And it took me to noir. Mm, got it. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, now that we've defined pattern, defined pattern matching more or less, taking us back to depression. When we're in that more depressed frame of mind, it is going to be easier for me to spot in the external world things that match my internal reality. Mm-hmm. Right. So yep. I might not like that might be the thing that init- that uh, initiates, motivates me, maybe is a better way to put it. So when mm-hmm. I look at the rock and see the bug coming out, I'm like, I want to lift that and know more because I'm so keyed into those things that are dark or gross or strange or off or sad, just those kind of darker shades because mm-hmm. that's where my mind is at right now. 
There are lots yeah. of other things going on out in the world. It's just harder for my brain to pick up on it because it's in a very particular track right now, the track of depression. And so I think that's kind of the other part of not only is it validating when we're feeling dark and down in these like wintry doldrums to watch shows shows shot in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. It also it's it's what we're more prone to pick up on. Mm-hmm. Because that's the frame from which we're moving. Right. So that's going to resonate more. Well, it's going to, yeah, it's going to resonate less to, I mean, sure. When we're feeling down, there are some shows that we always go to, to just kind of lighten the mood. Sure. Adventure time. (laughs) uh, The good place, Mm -hmm. uh, parks and recreation. But when, when we're feeling down and we want to watch something resonant, we want, mm-hmm. we want to kind of like see our own experience reflected back. Right. That's when we're watching these things. And that, that brings up something interesting that just kind of popped into my head. Mm-hmm. And this is, this goes more to, I would say clinical depression than seasonal affective disorder, but you know, it could go either way. Right. Is... As, as the DSM pointed out to us. Yeah. It's just, it's just really a bullet, a subcategory yeah. <laughs> of the larger issue, which right. is clinical depression. Yeah. But I mean, I, as a part of the supernatural fandom, I can tell you that the, the fandom is full of folks that are dealing with depression and mm. uh, other mental health challenges. And it makes so much sense. I mean, there, there's absolutely the fandom attachment aspect and uh, all these other layers. Mm-hmm. But I think it would make a lot of sense that if you're feeling in this depressed mood, you would want to see uh, this kind of darker programming reflected back because it reflects back your experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And it feels like it has something both resonant and authentic to offer you mm-hmm. because it's dealing with that which you are currently struggling. And I think that is part of why we connect with art as human beings, because it is an attempt to grapple with what's happening for us inside. Mm-hmm. So when I'm really profoundly struggling with um, a sadness connected to there being far less sun outside, I am going to be somewhat inclined to hunker down into that and be like, all right, let's like really understand what's going on for me right now. Um, is it is it just the sun? I shouldn't say just the sun. Is the main mm-hmm. issue that the sun is not around as much? Or is part of it, are there other things maybe that are going on that contribute to my depression? Um, I, I think it's no surprise that in fact, absolutely makes a ton of sense that shows like Twin Peaks and Supernatural. Um, and, you know, Riverdale, which we haven't talked about as much, but is also shot in the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. and just very rainy most of the time. Um, and yet Veronica never dressed for the weather. No, no. Bless her. Um, <laughs> wonderful bejeweled collars. And, you know, she has an assortment of sweater vests, so I hope they're made of some, like, both light but very warming material. <laughs> um, and she has a cape. But it doesn't cover the whole arm. No, I, I have no, questions. No. no, and like always with the heels, because I mean, if as it, as a person who has worn heels from time to time, um, and I don't <laughs> mean heeled boots, I mean high heeled stiletto type shoe situations. Um, there's nothing warm about this footwear. It does not protect <laughs> protect you from inclement weather. It does not protect you from 
I don't know, changing road surfaces. I would go so far as to say I think it would be more logical <laughs> and more comfortable to walk around in bare feet. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Sure. Um, and that, but that all takes us back to kind of the larger point, which is that in all of these shows, yes, they are great depictions of depression, but what they also all have in common is depiction of a lineage of trauma of some type and in general mm. family trauma, mm. which very much, I think, corroborates um, research that shows that when you have either an experience of chronic trauma and or a history of family trauma, um, that you are more prone to developing symptoms of depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, not so that it's not all gloomy doomy. Mm-hmm. Um, while these shows offer this resonance of, you know, this this kind of this down mood, um, the these creepy, dark, darker aspects of ourselves, the shadow self type stuff. They also inject some kind of whimsy. And so even if um, you're gravitating towards them because they're so dark, you're you are still getting a little bit of joy. Mm-hmm. Glitter know? vampires playing baseball, if you will. Yeah. I, if that is your jam, you get that. Uh, well, and it, like that's not super my jam, but I bring that up to highlight what you're saying, because I think the reason that that first movie that they did in the Twilight movie series, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it stands this test of time, but I would say it's certainly the best of the bunch <laughs> because it has that whimsy injected into it. Mm-hmm. It's not just entirely dour. Okay. And so I think the interesting thing that you break, bring up is that if you do look closelier at depression both in these television shows and depression for yourself that the closer you look the closer look you look the closer you look that you can then find these interesting injections of humor and whimsy and fun what do you think that's about sir that that is the case because it it, i mean on the face of it it seems sort of contradictory uh, well, as anyone who has dealt with depression will tell you, like it, it is sad and awful and terrible. And also there are some aspects of it that are just, if you don't laugh, you're going to cry, you know, mm-hmm. like there is, there is an innate humor that if, if we allow ourselves to embrace it, that it, it allows some, some break in the, in the monotony, you know, if you just kind of look around and go, I I don't remember when the last time was I ate a vegetable. <laughs> I I can I can giggle at that and mm-hmm. like make a new plan or I can go into a shame spiral and just what I call a shame nato. It's a shark nato full of shame. Uh <laughs> That's a brutal image. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're like, "Yes, I- thank you. That's why I came up with it." <laughs> My my skills are are well known. Uh, and so when when folks who deal with depression interact with other folks who deal with depression or when folks who deal with depression come in and talk to a therapist who isn't afraid to like engage with that whimsy, you're going to wind up laughing. Mm-hmm. I laugh with my clients all the time um, because there there is humor here the same way that there's this is going to sound a little dark, but depression can be kind of dark. Yeah. 
Um, the same way that we laugh at funerals. There, there is, there is joy even as there's sadness. There, it's, mm-hmm. it's not either or. It's both and if you're right. open to it. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this is a great example of where we want to just break open that Westworld construct of separated duality. Mm-hmm. For the Jungians in the audience, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, but for those of you who are not, <laughs> maybe like you know, as into the Jungian theory as some of us might otherwise be um it's this idea that rather than thinking of good and bad being two separate degree discrete entities that are in no way connected in fact they are completely intermingled and that's part of why when you really kind of lean into sadness and darkness you are inevitably kind of going to tip out the other side and find yourself in that place of um sometimes humor and ridiculousness and laughter. And I think this is where things like cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavior therapy can start to be helpful. And this, fair if this feels like kind of like a hard left turn, but stay with me, friends. Um, (laughs) Because as we've been talking about this, I, I completely had thoughts of other colleagues running through my mind um, because there's definitely, I think the school of thought, um, in both the fields of psychology and psychotherapy that we do not want to lean into sad thoughts. We do not want to lean into negativity. We need to turn off the TV shows based in the Pacific Northwest <laughs> and we need to get you up and out of there. Right. You know, change our thoughts to change our feelings. Mm-hmm. Turn on Hawaii Five-O. The love boat, whatever's working <laughs> for you. Um, and I think that has a real place. Right. And I would never want to say that it doesn't, but I also think that there are times where that more, I think maybe like prescriptivist approach can feel inauthentic mm-hmm. because if I'm feeling so dark and so sad, is Hawaii Five-0 going to speak to me? No, 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 it sure is not. <laughs> um, it's part of why I think a show like The Good Place and frankly Adventure Time 2 works is that while it's ha- more heavily on the whimsy side, it absolutely has some of those darker moments. And so mm-hmm. I think the challenge for, you know, psychotherapists when you're working with someone who's really, really in the middle of that lousy smarch weather, and for those of us who might be currently in the middle of lousy smarch weather, it's finding that moment, paying attention to your own internal emotions and being able to be aware of, oh, oh, there's that, there's that moment of like authentic whimsy or that moment of authentic laughter. Mm-hmm. When you're able to be like, God, I can't remember the last time I had a vegetable, right? And mm-hmm. it is going to be darker tinged humor. Absolutely. But I think that's the moment when we want to like, really like hold on with both fists to that kind of rope of laughter and hope and joy. And then we can do things like use more of that CBT or DBT approach to start to build on that more positive upswing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is so interesting um, to think about because, I mean, this, despite what you think, listeners, Larissa and I don't <laughs> just sit around thinking about this stuff all day, every day. No. Um, <laughs> no. We do things like, you know, go to conventions and then binge watch Riverdale. <laughs> that is that is a significant amount of the springtime anyway. Uh, <laughs> but as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, well, of course we love Supernatural, which I just I know I keep coming back to, but you know, you're welcome. But of course people 
love Castiel. Because mm-hmm. what does Castiel bring? He brings the whimsy. He brings the humor. He is, I mean, he has, he absolutely has serious story arcs. Sure. But he is, he is a creature from another place. And so he doesn't quite fit and he's mess he messes up and it's funny. Um, and it's quirky and we can relate to that. And so he's like this and, you know, feel free to interact with me on the social media if you disagree or, uh, or agree and want to send a, a, a wonderful gif. Yeah, please send me all your Misha Collins gifts. Um, but there is this character that that just adds this lightness mm-hmm. to what is very often a dark, mm-hmm. rich, heavy chocolate cake that needs some raspberry topping or else it would just be cloying or some vanilla bean ice cream. Um, <laughs> I didn't I didn't see us taking a turn to dessert land, but that's cool. I'll follow. <laughs> um, yeah, just had to pause and really let that imagery sink in, if you will, listeners. And where that takes me back to is where I started as soon as the captain said Castiel. <laughs> when, like, Castiel comes out of the liquor store and he's like, I just did what Dean would do. I drank it all. <laughs> <laughs> And this is, I mean, this is such a low point for Cass, right? And he is mm-hmm. really, really hurting. And again, because he is that sort of that alien angelic entity and he doesn't really get how to like do human, mm-hmm. he still, even in his like really darkest moments, injects that humor. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, right. And it's unintentional. He, he's no, not trying to sure. be funny. No. Just the same way you're not trying to be funny when you realize you haven't eaten a vegetable. But there is inherent humor there and yeah. just letting yourself roll with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a friend or a therapist who's able to see that and highlight it, be like, yeah, really? A vegetable? And that because sometimes we need help from an outside person for so we can like pause and really let the joke sink in. Mm-hmm. And that can be really helpful. Mm hmm. And again, therapists who are li- who are listening, this is all about like laughing with your client, of course, not at your client. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and playful challenge. Mm-hmm. So so many of the laughs that come in into the therapy room for me are when I'm playfully challenging a client, when you know they're telling me about their day, and you know I I check in on how folks' appetite is and. I might say, when was, when was the last time you ate a vegetable? <laughs> and they can't remember. And we both laugh because it's it's so ridiculous as to be funny. And then mm-hmm. it breaks the tension. It's not a shame, NATO. It's just no. like, okay, so you can't remember the last time you had a vegetable. What are we going to do with that information? It's just information. Right. But it it, ha- it opens it up to be that that whimsical Castiel moment, I think, mm-hmm. where then we can step back together and laugh and be like, God, this is really ridiculous that I've fallen this low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, should we talk about what folks can do at home if they notice that they're being bogged down by the lousy smarch weather? Yes. Um, first thing I would say is get yourself a therapist with a trench coat. Uh, and... 
<laughs> piercing blue eyes and a backwards blue tie. Don't check into the five seasons. <laughs> and stay away from Shank Shaw prison. Um, some, someday, uh, Loris and I will do a bonus up that is just us talking about how much we love the, the narrative that is put into Riverdale and all of the products they, they create by changing the name of existing products. Mm-hmm. If and ever if you don't so what, slightly. If you don't know what we're talking about, I, I really do recommend watching Riverdale. Yes. Because I, I mean, there's so many reasons, uh, but one would be that I, I think, I think the show does a really beautiful job of balancing, balancing the Pacific Northwest malaise with just that ridiculous, fun-loving, whimsical humor. And critics who get like all bent out of shape and are like, how can they say jingle jangle that many times? It's ridiculous. It's like, yes. That's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the town with pep, but it's a rock with all this stuff crawling underneath it. Mm-hmm. It's love both it. end. Both it end. Both, we love it. It is. Both yes. end. Um, other things. Uh, yeah, a so serious lamp. things. Seri- serious things. Like a sun lamp might be something to check out, but again, only in the mornings, not at night. Mm-hmm. Um getting trying to work on sleep hygiene and we'll probably talk about this in more detail later but sleep hygiene mm-hmm. has to do with how you quiet down your body and go to sleep when it is legitimately dark out so not when it feels dark at like 2 p.m but when it's maybe not even like legit dark out but when it's like the the time that you need to go to sleep so between the hours of like nine and maybe at the latest midnight so you can get a six to eight hours before you get up at your version of morning sleep hygiene helps you relax the body down so you can actually do that so checking in with that and then also trying to pay to pay attention to where is my sleep wake cycle at because even if it's not light out at like between 7 to eight thirty in the morning you still want to be waking the body up at around that time unless you work nights as i once did and then Lots of love out to you for those of you who are working nights. Um, you know, do the best you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my my uh, I I don't like to use the phrase sleep hygiene because I think it sounds creepy. So I say nighttime huh, sleep ritual. That's something we're going to want to talk about. I want to know more about that, but not right now. Later. Yeah. No, it's just it's like sleep hygiene. Um. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> so I prefer to say nighttime sleep ritual and my nighttime sleep ritual comes a bit later than Spock's um, mm-hmm. be, because my, my day starts later. Um, I, that, that is a, that is a choice that I have the privilege to make. And so I do make it, um, but different folks um, have different ways that they do their nighttime sleep ritual um, for some folks, a nice hot shower or a bath some lavender aromatherapy can help you wind down. Yeah, you know, it it doesn't all have to be turning off screens hours before bed, which is something that you hear in a lot of mm-hmm. mainstream uh, sleep hygiene circles, right? Or on the Huffington Post. <laughs> not that I'm knocking the Huffington Post. It just seems like they've done a lot of work in this area recently. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's there's a lot of discussion around screens, and absolutely for some folks, um, screens can be very activating. There's a particular kind of light in there that can trick your brain into thinking it's it's awake time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that for some of our listeners, that might be intimidating. Thinking about turning off your devices so far in advance before bed. If you can turn off your devices a little bit in advance of bed, like maybe not scrolling through your feed in bed. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I would invite you to give that a shot. And if that isn't workable, it's not workable. But Or at the very least, kind of like bring, I think this is, this is at base an invitation to bring some compassionate curiosity into what your current nighttime routine is. And if your response to this is routine what? Um, <laughs> that might be, you know, a, a yellow alert to be like, oh, maybe this is something I want to just start to think about. Do some low-key inventory and um, not because these are about good or bad choices or being a good or bad person. This is not, this is not a moral issue, you know, it's really not. Um, it's about figuring out what is going to work best for you, your body, and what's going to help you during deep midwinter to go Shakespearean for a moment. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. There's a guy who had a lot to say about climates that were like the Pacific Northwest. Mm, Yeah. Mm. The other thing I would say that people don't like to hear, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing better you can do for your mental health than move your body. So if you can get some exercise or amp up the amount of time you're moving your body. We've uh, sorry. I've moved out of the nighttime sleep ritual and moved (sighs) into other things we can do for our mental health. Um, (laughs) good word up (laughs) yeah yeah well I didn't I didn't want to well I was confusing but then I tried to backtrack out of being confusing um Mm. really there's nothing better folks can do for their mental health than move their bodies so if again this is just an opportunity for some for some inquiry like how how often are you moving your body and that doesn't need to be like going to the gym or shit like that like are you getting out and I mean, taking a walk outside might sound absolutely terrible because it's freaking freezing. Mm-hmm. Can can you do some, I don't know, some wall can, sits in your house? or Right. Can you just like stretch? Yeah. You know, and like what I sometimes what I try to talk with folks about when I say body movement and they're looking at me like I've just s- suggested something awful and unpleasant um, is I try to break it down and, and put it like this. You know, like remember when like we were kids and when I say kids, I mean between the ages of like two to maybe like 10. And if you ever, if you can't remember this, doing this as a child, if you are able to, if you like have kids in your life, kids are never, or I shouldn't say never, they're rarely standing still. Mm-hmm. They're moving about in some capacity, you know, maybe they're just like doing that dance with the arms that I can't do because I'm, I'm old now. Oh, um, it's called flossing and I will teach it to you. It was taught beautiful. to me by an eight year old. They are the only ones that can teach you. That's good. You can pass down the eight-year-old wisdom. <laughs> a lateral pass, if you will. But yeah, so like things like flossing, things like, you know, like hopping back and forth on one leg, laying on the ground and like doing the yoga pose whose name I never remember, but it's like throwing your legs up and kind of like rocking back and forth and like leaning on your back. These are movements. They're like organic body movements. And so if you can start to invite yourself to explore 
just more organic movement of any kind. It can be small. The big thing it needs to be is it needs, needs to be you getting out of like a sitting position and just moving. And I know you can't see me, but the captain can, and I'm just kind of like, I don't know. She's, she's just bebopping. Mm, yes, that's a great term. <laughs> <laughs> um, and last but not least, I want to give a shout out to Vitamin D. No, this is not a paid sponsorship. Um, but Vitamin D, we would love your sponsorship money. <laughs> we sure would. A <laughs> couple things I want to say about Vitamin D. Um, this really sounds like it's sponsored, but again, folks, it 100% is not. Um, it is some, sometimes called the sunshine vitamin, and the reason it's called that sometimes by some folks is because our bodies tend to produce it when exposed to sunlight. Um, some of you out there may be like, but Larissa, studies have shown that, it, that like inconclusive results trying to tie an increase or an average level of vitamin D to an improvement in mood. And to those of you out there, I say, yes, I've seen those studies too. <laughs> and they're out there. They do say that. And at the same time, it does seem like vitamin D can help sometimes we're not sure why it has not kind of been proven technically using the scientific method yet but it is something that i would say most doctors i've talked with and many psychiatrists too recommend especially for folks who live in a region like the midwest or the pacific northwest um where it just gets darker and you don't have as much sun exposure because vitamin d can help your body in lots of ways and it might help your mood but it for sure can help your body in other ways mm -hmm. like you know strong bones <laughs> to do body movements without breaking anything yay <laughs> um okay so mm -hmm. what are some things that our friends at home can google if they are interested in learning more about what we talked about today such a great question so some things that folks can Google would be clinical depression, seasonal affective disorder, also known as seasonal depression, sun lamps, and everyone's favorite vitamin, vitamin D. <laughs> and today we talked about Riverdale, Twin Peaks, Twilight, and Supernatural. Supernatural. Who could forget everyone's favorite boys? Who could forget everyone's favorite boys? Me, apparently, in that moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe you need more vitamin D. No, actually, I don't think that helps with mental acuity. Um. <laughs> I, I have some pretty powerful multivitamins. I think we're good. <laughs> That's good. We may be at the helm of the ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song and now lives in California, and we're jealous. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandy Cat Duffy, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. You are our sunshine. Tune in for our next ep on The Hero's Journey, Part 1, Call to Adventure. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And honestly, truly, the very best way you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and especially review us on iTunes. And be sure to tell your friends. And as always, friends, live long and, and prosper. prosper.